it's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. The topics and opinions expressed on the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4WN Radio. Welcome to Success Secrets Exposed with Sally A. Curtis, where we share stories of challenge, success, and inspiration, along with practical tips and strategies to move you forward to your success. And now, here's your host, Sally A. Curtis. Good evening, good morning, and welcome to Success Secrets Exposed, we've got another action-packed episode for you today. We're going to be continuing our theme on uh, business growth. We're going to tap into personal growth, uh, one of my favourite areas today as well. For me, um, personal growth um, and peak performance um, has been an integral part of who I am and what I do. I love the fast-paced activity. I love change, etc. And I have had that very fast-paced, rushing woman syndrome that many of us have had. And for me, I didn't actually realise the benefits of uh, wellness and peak performance and even stillness and how that can affect uh, both careers, life and uh, personal growth, etc. And for me, one of the key lessons that I've learned uh, in being that rushing woman, that very busy person and not really focusing on my own wellness, was that ability to always be in service, to always be rushing around, filling everybody else's buckets up uh, while my, my own bucket had holes in the bottom of it. I'm sure many of you can relate to, to being that uh, person um, as an entrepreneur, as a mother, and as a career person. Now, I'm really, really excited to share Lara with you today. I've spent some um, time with Lara and the conversations that we have had um, have really identified the parallels with the industry that she works in, which is the legal profession, and the parallels that I've experienced in my own entrepreneurial journey. Um, the benefits of that wellness as it relates to peak performance, and in my case, having time to actually have uh, stillness. Uh, for those that know me really well, they you know I'm always rushing around, I'm always super fast paced, um, but my um, strength in um, enabling to continue to do that is actually finding having having those moments of stillness so i'm super excited to share lara wentworth with you today now lara is an experienced wellness and performance coach and she does help lawyers uh, to have and build better careers and lives through having stronger mindsets more resilient mindsets as well as then giving them the ability to adapt and maintain healthy 
um, mindsets in their in their business and practice, but also managing the flexibility, especially as they in that profession are under some extreme pressures to perform and to help and be of service. Lara is an experienced lawyer with a career spanning more than 20 years in both uh, leadership, uh, so very much a leadership expert, uh, expert performance, as well as learning and development and coaching. So please help me welcome Lara Wentworth to the show. Hi, Sally. How are you? <laughs> I'm really well. How are you going? Yeah, very well too. Thank you. Thank you so much good. Um, for joining us today. Really, really appreciate it. Absolute um, pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. I know we've had some really great conversations and I really yep. love what you do and your uh, community thrive on the information and the, the insights that you share with them. Thank Can you. Can I ask you to, to share a little bit of your backstory of how you've got to sort of where you are? Um, we're happy to have the warts and all story too. So, um, <laughs> There's lots of those. <laughs> <laughs> sure thing. So um, as you mentioned in the introduction, um, I'm a lawyer by profession and I've been a lawyer for quite a while now. Um, I'm also a mother of three children um, and I'm also a, an entrepreneur and um, I suppose you could call me an entrepreneur and a, and a business person and I've um, set up my own coaching and training practice focusing on lawyers. But in terms of the backstory, um, it's really about, you know, me um, being in a profession that's extremely demanding, um, extremely high pressured. And a lot have described it as a, um, you know, more of a male orientated sort of profession um, that caters more for the lives of and the realities of men than women. Um, and really just uh, worked my way up through that profession uh, with a lot of hard work, um, but really putting myself second or next or at the bottom of the list so that I could um, get to that ideal place where I could call myself successful. Uh, and I guess I really realised that success for me in that context, now looking back on it, was very much something that I aspire to so that I can satisfy the profession's idea of success or society's idea of success. And I really neglected my own version and my own story of success. So uh, I suppose you could say that I had a bit of a, a soul searching moment a few years ago when I thought, you know, when I got to partnership in the firm that I was in and decided that, you know, I've ticked the boxes as far as success is mm. concerned. I rushed around, as you explained, you know, rushed around looking after three children. I rushed around being mummy and being a lawyer and being wife and doing all of that sort of stuff suffered a lot of mental health in the process, you know, suffered a lot of depression, anxiety, and stress, and all the things that come with neglecting self-care, really. Mm. Uh, and then I decided that um, I would like to share my story with others and really teach and coach and train other lawyers as to how to have that balance, firstly in here and then in our external reality. And this is where we are. There we, we, absolutely. So as, as we said, there's lots of certain uh, parallels, I think, with women probably uh, and yeah. certain entrepreneurs with that that rushing, yeah. that, that syndrome, that are we are we good enough um, and all of them, I'm going to call it my, my version of mental gymnastics. <laughs> 
you probably yourself like me um i've certainly had those bouts of depression and i've certainly burnt myself out at least three times and have uh, finally learned the lesson from that what do you see as some of the common um, problems in your um, in the profession when you were in it and now as an outsider observing mm. it from a different perspective? I'd love to hear that. Look, I think as a lawyer, um, we kind of get indoctrinated into this culture that, you know, in order to be successful, you've got to follow these values. Mm. You know, these things need to be important to you. And I did that. Um, so I think you know, the, the, the pitfalls that a lot of lawyers fall in is that, you know, in order to be a successful lawyer, I've got to have this, you know, really um, strong personality and reputation about someone who just fights for their client. I've got to be someone who doesn't feel, you know, mm -hmm. I've got to be this robot who can put on a, a face and be that kind of advocate. I've got to be stressed, which is an interesting concept. You know, I, I need to be stressed so that I could be a good lawyer. There's that kind of um, backdrop, if you like, or this belief system that if you're not stressed, maybe that means you don't have enough work or maybe that means you're not um, sought after enough and therefore you're not a good lawyer. Yeah. And so it, it's just like our own unconscious beliefs as human beings that kind of guide our behaviour and, and influence our decisions. We have that collectively as a profession. And, and what I have found now looking back mm. on my experience and also coaching lawyers now from this position is that a lot of lawyers say to me, you know, before I started working with you, I truly believed that I needed stress in my life to be an effective lawyer. Um, so it becomes this kind of vicious circle where we become stressed so that we could be good lawyers then we burn out because chronic stress does that to us without those respites uh, and those moments of self-care and then when we become stressed out and burnt out we we become ineffective because that shuts us off from our resources internal resources and then we don't say anything about it because then we're worried that others will perceive us as not capable or not good enough so we just continue this cycle over and over again until one day, you know, there's, you know, nervous breakdowns or some something severe like that where we have to make a change. Mm. We've just had an absolute flurry of questions coming in. So oh, okay. all the ones I've just caught. Um, a couple of people have asked um, what um, A led you to law and what, pra uh, what type of law did you practice when you were practicing? Cool. So um, I suppose what led me to law I'd like to, I'd love to say actually that it was that feeling of wanting to help people and, and, and make sure justice prevails and all those beautiful things. But the reality for me is that when I was, uh, when I came out of school, I um, was told by my parents that I'd make a good lawyer and therefore I should really strongly, uh, they strongly encouraged me to do that. And being the eldest of five children, I had to be a role model for the for my family. And I gave it some consideration in the back of my mind. I thought oh, I could do that, you know, that would be cool. I could, um, you know, help people. Um, and so I kind of, I feel like I was thrown into it straight from high school because my parents said it was a good idea. And I did too with my own, you know, whatever an 18 year old thinks is a good idea at the time. And so, um, so I did it. And no, I mean, I enjoyed, I enjoyed it. Most of the time it was a very rewarding profession 
And to answer the second part of the question, I firstly did compensation law, what we call personal injury law in Australia. And then I moved into the family law sphere and wills and probate. Yep. Yeah. Um, couple more questions in there. Good. Um, yeah, um, so the first one was um, just comment on how finding it interesting how people um, actually do like to put themselves under extreme pressure in that uh, quest for um, being successful. I'm thinking my own case to feel successful. I needed mm. to feel like I was busy and doing stuff, mm. you know, in that frame. So I'd like yeah. to comment on that. Um, and perhaps if you can weave into that, um, we're also getting comments about the ill effects of holding or pushing down those emotions um, and what that does um, from, mm. a, from a perspective. So, and I'll catch up on the rest of the questions that are there. Awesome. And hold on to that second part of the question, Sally, because I, I could I could go off on a tangent, so just okay. bring me back in. <laughs> Um, so I think a lot of it, the first part of the question, a lot of it has to do with the types of personalities that the profession attracts. Generally speaking, uh, lawyers or people are attracted to the law because they have that, um, you know, overachieving kind of personality where they, 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 they're very ambitious. You know, we're very ambitious people. You know, what, where we are now is never good enough. We've got to get to the next level and the next stage. Um, and in order for us to function properly, we need that sort of pressure to to almost sort of propel us into our excellence, which in theory sounds great, right? Like that's that's pretty cool. Why can't we just continue to do that? The problem with our types, and I'm generalising, you know, there might be lawyers out there going, that that doesn't sound like me, and that that's perfectly fine. But from what I've seen and from what I've experienced, this is this is my my opinion. So. Uh, what happens a lot of the time is that we feel the pressure and because we've got this overachieving personality with a tinge of insecurity. You know, there's this um, professor in the UK who's done some great studies on this. Her name is Laura Empson, and she describes lawyers and most professionals as these insecure overachievers where um, we, we overachieve to fill this void of being good enough. But as because it's an unconscious pattern, it never gets filled with any external thing that we do. And so we don't know where to pull the plug on the pressure and we continue to mount that pressure thinking it's what we need in order to, to achieve and perform. And like I did when I was, you know, practicing in the thick of it, I just overcommitted and I said yes to everything and I didn't want anyone to know that I was struggling and, um, you know, I was working part-time and I was taking on full-time work and yes you know I said yes to everything uh, because that's what we do right who we are as lawyers so um, and so we continue to mount that pressure without any kind of um, quality check if you like about what's that doing to us what's that doing to our families what's that doing to um, our mental health yeah and the second part of the yeah the word calibrate there was for me there was no calibration I just there was no yeah yeah yeah. And just on that, actually, part of the work that I do with lawyers now is to build this internal gauge so that we can calibrate and we can get to that point where we go, yeah, pressure is good to a certain degree and it helps us. I mean, as human beings, we need a certain level of stress in our lives to function. But there's a difference, massive difference between that healthy level of stress where we kind of, you know, we've got that, you know, emotional cocktail to take action. Um, and this chronic stress that causes burnout. Mm. Um, and so that's that internal gauge that, that I help people build, which 
I didn't have for a long time. Um, and I think, yeah, and, and we don't, as women, you know, we don't. We, we, um, we believe that we're built for service, you know, and we're built to serve other people around us. And if we have time or if we have energy, we might think about ourselves. And that's common. Um, and even when we do think about ourselves, there's that sort of level of guilt. Oh, maybe I should have spent that time with the kids or maybe I should have answered one more email or maybe I should have done something with that time rather than looking after ourselves first, yeah. which I think come up so yeah how long um do we study law in australia so it depends if you do a combined degree or a single degree so different universities have different programs but if you're coming straight out of universe out of uh, high school generally speaking you've got to do a combined degree which took me five years full-time plus another six months to 12 months of practical legal training so about five and a half to six years all up provided you don't fail anything <laughs> which could take a bit longer it was a quick question to drop Good. in there yeah. just one flash up awesome. um, so we, we were talking about sort of pushing those emotions down um and what that uh, what that does um to the individual which we sort of gone backwards and forwards on do you have any additional thoughts on that sure yeah look um this, this, I think, goes hand in hand with um, emotional intelligence, EQ, which um, which we know isn't something that um, it doesn't just come with intelligence. So just having an IQ doesn't mean you have a high EQ. And a lot of lawyers have a high IQ and we just assume that they have the, the level of EQ that they need to be successful. To bring it back to the question about pushing down pressure, mm. what happens um, with emotions that are quite sort of intense and have that tinge of pain in them and pressure does have that uh, level you know people find pain in pressure is that the more we push it down or the more that we resist it it actually gains momentum and it gains energy and it pushes back because what happens with those feelings you know pressure could also be anxiety it could also be fear it could also be um you know stress could be those kind of survival feelings i suppose if you want to call them that we feel when we're in that we, we when we're under threat or when there's a danger out there the more we ignore those things the more that they kind of come back up because ultimately the, the purpose of those feelings is to warn us of danger. I mean, that's what's helped us survive as a species all this time. You know, we've got this part of the brain that says, you know, danger, 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 do something about it. Yeah. Um, and so bottling down pressure simply means that you're, you're it's building momentum ready to just like, you know, like a any kind of pressure, the more you press on it, that's where pressure comes from. Press. The more you press on it, the more it presses back. Exactly. So there's healthier ways of dealing with those feelings rather than burying them. And generally, that's processing them. Beautiful. A couple of questions. I just saw Peter Nichols. Thank you for joining us again this week, Peter. Appreciate. I'll come back to your question, Peter, because there's been a couple of others that have just um, re coming back through. Um, somebody's really keen to know when you were studying law. Um, did you actually have pleasure during that period in the work that you were doing? And um, obviously your callings moved away from actually practising law, but now you're serving law in a different way. So um, I suppose there was a before calling and an after calling, if you can actually explain that. Um, or yeah. That for the yeah. 
Sure. Look, I believe that your calling in life, whether it be in your vocation or any other area, can change. It could be what, you know, is your calling for this particular period of time. Mm-hmm. And so at the time, I, I actually enjoyed studying law. Um, it was, it was, you know, lots of pressure, lots of work, and I thrived on that. Mm. Um, and I, you know, that was kind of how my unconscious programming was designed to to achieve and to to strive and and to enjoy that sort of um, pressure. So I did feel like that was the right thing for me to do, even though when it got really really tough and I was like, oh man, this is you know, this is really make or break sort of thing. Mm-hmm. My personality is to you know, when things get hard, I try harder because yeah. I will not. You know, I will not back down, you know, sort of thing. And I'd I'd visualise that day where I would graduate. And that really, that compelling vision of my future really pulled me forward. Mm -hmm. But I tell you something, I started, um, I think the cohort I was in was 200 people and only about 60 graduated. So it really does kind of, um, you know, it it makes people realise that this is not for me and that's perfect because you should never do... Um, so at the time it was, I felt like it was my calling and I was very passionate about it. Um, I suppose, you know, those feelings of striving and thriving under pressure kind of then grew into something unhealthy um, because I didn't have the EQ, I didn't have the strategies or the tools to be aware and rein them in and really use them for what they designed for. Mm-hmm. And so my calling, my second, the second part of my chapter, my life calling was when I decided I got to a point, Sally, where I was like, you know what, I, th- I feel like I have done what I need to do in this space. Mm-hmm. And there was this voice that kept saying to me, there's others who need you more than your family law clients need you. Mm-hmm. And I'm passionate about helping clients, really. Like being in family law really helped me realise how you know, conflict and having those unconscious patterns can really hold people back. And the, and the children suffered and there was just all this pain around it. And I noticed that lawyers, if they were unconscious themselves, didn't help the situation. Yeah. So I guess the second part of my calling was, how can I help more clients? How can I help my community? How can I help the world in my own small way? And that was to help lawyers become yeah. more conscious and aware. And so I followed that calling. <laughs> yeah, I think that's where we have that kindred spirit thread going through of being yeah. of service and sort of understanding what we've gone through ourselves um, and how that's affected uh, for personally and families and all those sorts of things and then looking yeah. at the group that's been created when we've been more conscious. So just going back to uh, Peter Nichols' question, so Peter's in the coaching arena um, as we are mm-hmm. um, and he's asked a really, really great question as it relates to... Um, what are some tips or strategies that you can perhaps suggest for somebody that is a coach themselves when they go through their own personal and mental challenges at the the same time? Um, I'd love your perspective on that. Um, Great question, Peter. (laughs) Because, you know, sometimes as coaches we forget that we're human beings as well Um, and we think we've got to be this kind of, you know, um, uh, ideal, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, we dare say perfection. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we're not allowed to have moments of um, all those things. I think that in itself is un- an unhealthy mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that 
the idea behind being in charge of our minds and therefore our lives and our results doesn't necessarily mean that we don't have moments of stress or, I mean, if you heard me this morning with my children, I lost control. <laughs> and I'll be honest with you, but I was aware of it the whole time and I knew that I was losing control, but I let myself go for that moment. So, you know, one of the, the, the most valuable skill I think I learnt as a coach isn't that we are not allowed to feel certain emotions or lose control or be human. It's how long we stay there that matters. You know, how long we stay there. Sometimes anger is good. There's, there's information in those feelings, these emotions that help us, um, you know, understand ourselves and the world around us better. It's just a how long. And be kind to yourself. You know, remember that you are a human being at the end of the day and you have emotions and you have unconscious patterns. Sorry, I need to cough. <laughs> so be kind to yourself. <laughs> Sorry. That out and I'll answer another uh, <laughs> questions here. A great question here, uh, and I can uh, answer parts of this, and I'd love your uh, comment on it as well. Do coaches need coaches at times? Um, and if they do, would it show a sort of weakness on their part? So. <laughs> Um, for me, I'll just say, and I'll commend Peter um, as it relates and commend you on sharing your um, story of the children this morning. I've had a similar <laughs> scenario with the dog that kept busting in. You know, sharing those moments and as you've just done, laughing about it now and having the awareness around it hey, uh, and sharing that with your community. I know for, uh, Peter, who's um, I know very, very well here in Adelaide, um, I, he, he messaged me one day during the week last week and I was having a grumpy day and I shared it. And it's not something I'd normally do. So there's that element of being vulnerable and sharing, uh, which proves that you actually are human and it becomes very engaging. Yeah. Um, and it's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. I've all, as a coach, I've always had coaches at particular times for particular purposes to help me have forward movement. But for me, um, I'm not perhaps quite skewed with the achievement um, gene as much as yourself are from a lawyer's perspective. But mine's evolution. I, I see my word as evolution. I always want to change. I always want to grow. I always want to evolve into something more. Yeah. So I've been on that same sort of quest and that that you know quest yeah. forward movement. Yeah. Um, but yeah, love your thoughts on coaches needing coaches. Yes. Look, I think you know. If you are a coach and you don't get coached at some stage, change that quick smart and get yourself a coach for whatever purpose you need. Mm -hmm. I, I have, I, I mean, you know, I've worked with you, you've worked with me, I've got, um, you know, another NLP coach that I just had a session with this week. Um, it's like this, all the skills in the world for us as coaches may not assist us see our own reality it's a different ball game mm. you know if you if you are if you're swinging a, a, a club if you're a golfer or a bat if you're whatever a baseballer it's very hard for you to see where you are swinging it incorrectly 
But if you have somebody with golfing skills or whatever you want, you know, however far you want to take this analogy, watching you from the outside, it's a lot easier for them to pick up because they're not invested, they're not involved, there's no, um, you know, th there's just them objectively watching you. Um, it's easier for them to pick up what you might be able to improve on. So in that context, in that sense, everybody needs coaching, mm -hmm. including coaches. And I think... I actually think coaches especially should be getting coached. Yeah. I um, yeah. just had a question of what were the letters in front of the coach that you just mentioned. So that was NLP, which is oh, yes. programming. programming. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. Um, so that's a, a different um, modality would be the word for that. Yeah, yeah, it's you could you, you could say it's a modality that I use in my coaching. So I'm trained in neurolinguistic programming, and just in a quick nutshell, it's the science of how the language of the mind sets up those programs that run our everyday lives, those unconscious programs. Yeah. So. Um, and for me, um, I'm also NLP trained, and have had coaches that are around that. I'm working with a coach at the moment that is picking me up on my languaging. Um, so I'm so I'm not sitting in the past, but I'm actually moving towards the future. Mm, so yeah. slightly different, um, but it's all around the words that we take into our into our own conscious, and um, which then creates our reality. Yeah. So I think we've answered that question um, there as well. So from um, from the perspective of uh, the common challenges that you see that you um, within the lawyer in practice um, as it relates to helping them find their wellness or their peak performance arena is that a combination of my you've sort of talked about mindset and bottling things mm. down what are some of the other tips that you help people find that balance um look awareness is kind of the first key for everything and anything um, one of the things that sometimes lawyers are very unaware of is this negativity bias that we almost get trained in to be able to do our job as lawyers. So, you know, we look for what's wrong all the time so that we can fix it or we look for what could go wrong so that we can avoid it. That's really our job. Our job is to yeah be those kind of warning signs for our clients. So a lot of the work that I do is about building awareness of that bias and that uh, type of, I suppose, looking at the world so that lawyers can have choice, so that they can use it as a tool rather than as a way of thinking. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's a big one for lawyers because we, I've seen lawyers take it into their family life, their home life, their friendships, and they become generally negative um, or pessimistic. Yeah. Um, so. If, if I could, you know, if I could wave a wand over every lawyer I, I know and just, you know, make them aware of that, I think that alone will make a massive difference. Yeah. Another question, and I know you do have clients um, across the globe. Uh, one of the questions being asked is, is there, um, how is it being a lawyer in Australia different from that of being in the US? Do you have a perspective on that? You know, I haven't seen too many differences in 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 the way that we think and in the way that we show up in our practices and in the world. In fact, to be honest, there's like a cultural, a global culture around the legal profession, which is really interesting. It's kind of transcending borders, um, at least in the Western world. You know, that's that's certainly the theme that I've noticed. Um, 
you know, that ambition, that drive, that, you know, insecurity, that imposter syndrome, that perfectionism, um, that negativity bias, it, it seems to be a common thread amongst, I mean, there's always going to be the, the smaller kind of nuances that are going to be different across economies and cultures and things like that. But generally speaking, we seem to share a common culture, which is interesting. Yeah. Another question that's just coming up is uh, what, um, how are way, or how could um, lawyers separate uh, work uh, from their life uh, in an easier way? How do they sort of segment? I don't know whether that's quite the right word, but yeah, compartmentalize. Um, yeah, that's a big that's a big one, and that's one that I work with a lot of lawyers um, to do because. I think what happens a lot of the time is people get overwhelmed with the amount of work that they have whilst they're at work and then they take that with them in their minds when they're at home. Mm -hmm. And so in the mind, because your mind doesn't know the difference between what's real and what's imagined, if you're constantly, you know, ruminating and dwelling over work whilst you're not at work, you're still working. Yes. Even though you're not in the office or in front of your computer, your mind thinks you're still working, which sucks energy, which, you know, takes a lot of effort. And, and causes burnout. So a lot of the time that happens. Yeah, <laughs> same. And it comes from this fear of I don't want to, you know, make a mistake. I don't want to let people down. I don't want to be exposed. So I'm going to constantly think about my work to make sure I haven't missed anything, you know. And so that continues well after working hours. And, and because we know lawyers generally work long hours anyway, it doesn't give us that much of of respite. So some of the things that I sort of help lawyers do is to use anchors and triggers to train the mind to switch off and move from one kind of space to another. Um, some people, you know, and they get to choose what that might be. And we, we elicit those anchors and we kind of embed them into our um, physiology and our psychology so that when it happens, it's unconscious and you've moved over to, you know, you're still going to get every now and then this uh -oh feeling, but you'll be aware of it because on a, on a neurological level, you've been able to switch over. So as an example, you know, some lawyers use their tie if they're, if, if they're a man and, and the minute they talk, take off their tie, something happens neurologically and they've switched over to home home life or whatever's, whatever comes after work. Um, some people use like a traffic light if they're travelling the same way to, to work every day and then when they cross that traffic light, there's a trigger neurologically where they move over. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, it's a state management skill. Yeah, It's that ability to pick up on what you're feeling and when you're feeling it and to manage your state and choose the state that you want to be in. And that's a teachable thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I'm having flashbacks to uh, <laughs> an incident when I've always worked from home um, as a coach and having the agency that I have. And I remember Rory coming in and, uh, you know, how kids sort of do that and they look up, up at you and I got that. Mm. Oh, I mean, you don't play with me anymore. Oh, oh, I know. He was only uh, really, really, really at home for me, and that was just prior, um, prior to what was would have become a potential burnout moment again for me. So mm. he's growing up beautifully, um, oh. that was the trigger for me for me to actually shut the door to the office. Oh, um, 
time and not go back and forwards in it and just keep checking, you know, that I'll just, I'll just check this, I'll just check that, or ding, or, you know, that. that no, you, you actually have to be really consciously aware of this stuff because our default is to go back to checking and to be worried and to stress because remember, we want to survive. And so one of the things that I do, for example, when I, I you know, when I finish working because I now work from home all the time, um, is I leave my phone, I don't take my phone outside of the office, this space, um, and I definitely don't take it into my bedroom. And it's I only use it when I'm here, unless of course I'm, you know, making calls for other reasons. Because we, if I do take it out of here, I mean, I'm still in work mode. So leaving it here has become my trigger to switch over to move over to the other part of my life. <laughs> A couple of a couple of questions, a couple of other questions that have come in. Do the courts run differently between Australia and US? It's a it's a wide question in terms of in what way. I mean, um, uh, there'd be definitely there'd be differences in the processes and the systems, um, but I dare say the culture is probably very very similar. But there'd be differences. I mean, even in Australia, there'd be differences depending on which court you're in you know, in terms of how they run. Um, so it just depends on the jurisdiction. Beautiful. Yeah. We've got another um, another question as it relates to, and I think this ties back into the same, you've answered this question as it relates to culture, but one of the questions that came in was, is there a less um, stressful type of law to practice? <laughs> uh, which is an interesting question. Um, look, I'm sure there is. Um, yeah. I'm sure there would be. Uh, it just depends, I suppose, on whether or not you like that type of law too. I mean, some people love litigation. They love being in court. They love that battling. Other people like transactional work where it's just them. depends on your personality. Like Some people are more introverted and they just like to be sitting behind their desk and um, writing contracts and reviewing things without having to have that dialogue. You know, I was more of an extrovert, so I really liked being in the courtroom. There was that, that kind of buzz that went with litigation. Yeah. Um, and so to answer that question, I suppose if you were um, more of that introvert and liked to work alone and independently and you were doing transactional work, if I was to put you in a courtroom kind of setting, that would mm -hmm. cause stress for you. The other way around is if you like that kind of environment and I was to change that environment, put you somewhere where you're alone all the time, just reviewing contracts, that could cause stress for you. So I don't know if there's an area that's more or less stressful. Probably in a family law, I'd say everybody has that kind of idea that family law is very stressful and that's true because you're dealing with a lot of conflict and, and toxicity and really difficult situations. So that I don't think anyone would say, oh, that's a piece of cake, no problems. Um, but in terms of an area that's less more, less or more stressful, I'd say it depends on your own meta-programming and how you are, um, at, at, yeah, what you enjoy and don't enjoy. Yeah. I think to, if I, uh, with, as it relates to that sort of differences of natural skills or giftedness, I talk a lot about the um, natural giftedness and what you do mm. effortlessly. Um, mm. And that comes from just uh, studying yourself and understanding yourself really, really well and mm. knowing what you actually enjoy doing and what you're actually good at um, versus if you go into an environment where it's not comfortable for you, it does become more stressful. So it tends to um, balance out from and comes from that place of who you are and mm -hmm. what you enjoy doing, what are you naturally? Yeah. And what, what are your values too? You know, right. what's important to you? Knowing that will help you decide what will cause you less stress. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Um, just a, a question here, and this um, is definitely a question for you. Um, would you figure your preference to be on the DA side or a public defender side? So um, I'm assuming by public defender you mean um, more in the in the um, not so much in criminal law only, but being in you know, working in the in the public sphere as opposed to the private sphere sphere. I think that's what that means. Yeah. I've never worked in the public in the public sphere, as in I've never worked here in Australia, we call it legal aid. Yeah. Um, and I've never really done that. I've also I've always ever been in the private space. So um, you know, working for private clients. I don't know if I would I don't really have a view about what my preference would be because my, you know, I don't think I would have minded working in the public system. In fact, I applied for a couple of positions in the public system, um, but I never sort of ne never got in so that I can com compare, I suppose, and see where I would um, thrive the most. But I have a friend who her whole entire career, she was a, a public defender and, and that really suited her personality and what, um, what she enjoyed to do. So I guess to answer that question, I'd really would need to experience both in order to be able to say for sure, yeah. yeah. We're just um, coming towards the getting closer to the end of the show. So I'm already. Fantastic! We've had such a great flurry of questions from the audience today, which has been fantastic. Thank you very, very much. Um, we do do have about tips sort of eight or nine minutes. So I'd love you to share some of your tips. Um, and I know you've just you've talked about sort of that awareness being one of the key elements, and yep. we've certainly talked about being in that observer uh, mode, which I would imagine fits into awareness. Yes. Um, and we've also talked about regular check-ins. So I'd love to just, because I think that ties into some of the uh, questions that Peter was asking as it relates to a coaches uh, that coach other people, et cetera. So mm -hmm. uh, share some thoughts on that, please. So um, I suppose my major tips about um, being, being aware or being in charge is having those regular check-ins with yourself mm. um, in different forms. So sometimes it just might mean that you're meditating at some stage during the day so that you can turn your attention inwards um, and and just check in and see what's going on. Mm. Um, sometimes that means getting coached as well so that someone else could help you do that check-in because uh, it's sometimes difficult, like I said before, see yourself swinging a bat even if you look in a mirror, you're not going to get that, you know, that you're still going to look at it from your own model of the world. Mm. Um, so what that does, those regular check-ins, is it builds that awareness muscle. And if you practice that enough times, awareness becomes an unconscious thing where you don't have to stop and go, oh, I've got to be aware right now. It just, you just, all of a sudden you notice things like you go, oh, okay, I'm losing it right now. What can I do to calm myself down? How can I be a bit more resourceful? And so that process becomes almost an unconscious default in itself. Mm -hmm. That's the beauty of building the awareness muscle. So it's you move from that, you know, if we if we talk about the learning cycle, you move from that, um, you know, being consciously skilled, so consciously aware that you need to be aware, to becoming unconsciously skilled in awareness. I'll give you an example. The other day I was driving and I got to where I needed to go and I realised that I don't remember how I got there. Mm. So that kind of moment in time when I got there, I just went, oh, my God, what did I miss out on the way here? 
What did I not see? What did I not hear? My kids would have been talking to me in the back. I don't have any memory of how I got to this place. But that instant moment of awareness then made me reflect on my life. And I started to think, where else am I driving an autopilot? What else am I missing out on in my life that I'm not seeing and I'm not hearing? That and that thought process has now led me to be aware of those moments in my day. So that I'm like, am I am I driving an autopilot right now or could I stop and be more attentive? So it just kind of, it becomes a way of being. Yeah. A couple yeah. of other questions which we'll just answer quickly. Do you um, feel that law is still a good profession to get into? I do, which is why I am so passionate about helping lawyers. A lot of the times the good lawyers, the, the, the ones that have the right motives and the right intentions leave the law because they feel like they are broken. The problem is the system itself is broken and it's causing incongruencies and it's making other lawyers feel like they don't fit in. But they are the lawyers we need to keep. They're the ones that could change things and challenge the status quo. I think it's a brilliant profession. It's just lost, it's lost its way a little bit. Um, and I think, I think it's very salvageable. Yeah, beautiful. One of the other questions is, do you feel you are a better coach or a better lawyer? Ah, interesting question. Yeah. Um, I think I feel more aligned in this moment in time with being a coach and that I think naturally would um, lend itself to feeling better at what I do, as in more effective at what I do now. Um, I, I was, you know, I was I was a good lawyer, you know, because I I had those in emotional intelligence skills, especially towards you know once I did a lot of work on myself. And but in terms of where do I feel more aligned and congruent, it's in what I do now. Yeah, yeah. and I, um, having the conversations that we've had and the time that we've had to share in those conversations, I would yes. very much say that uh, Lara's quest is to actually create better lawyers because she knows what the good is that those great lawyers can create for those yeah. families, for those situations. And if you can help them remain in that industry for the length of time that the industry needs them um, and they can have those, the balance uh, in their family lives. And their That's exactly what I meant to say, Sally. Thank you yeah. so much for saying it for me. Uh, you're, you're welcome to me. That oozes out of you. And I <laughs> certainly um, expressed in the conversation that we've certainly had yeah. today. Been, um, thank you thank you let me just check um the yep uh, more comments so that's coming through so you also talked about um and i know this is in um your downloadable that you've got for, uh, for people today which they can get um uh, from the link that we'll put in the bottom for the show and um, you also talked about rituals and now i love um great i love success rituals i have several of my own what are some mm -hmm. tips that you have for your lawyers as it relates to some of those simple success rituals yes my number one tip has to be setting daily intentions you know that's that kind of for me that's that secret source so getting your mind focused before your day starts or close to it if you've got little kids <laughs> um, about you know how do you want to show up today because where your mind goes or where your 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 focus goes your energy flows so I think my number one tip would be you know, when you wake up in the morning, think about your day and choose how you want to show up that day and set that as an intention so that your mind 
knows where you want it to go. Otherwise, we kind of follow we follow our mind wherever it wants to take us. And most of the time it's wired where it wanders. And if you do leave the mind to wonder, it's going to wander towards threats, danger, negative. It's just the way we're wired to survive. Um, so you've got, to, you've got to be in charge of that and set your intention. Um, if I was to give another tip for success, um, especially when, you know, we are in this fast-paced kind of world and profession, is to take moments and pause. Mm. You know, there's no, um, you're not going to lose anything. You're not going to miss out on anything. Things will still be there. But there's 30 seconds available to you, I guarantee, between tasks, between meetings, between whatever, um, which is just, I can't remember the author, but he's on the tip of my tongue. He describes this as a third space. Um, I wish I could remember his name now, but. I might send those details. But anyway, where you can calibrate what just happened and what you need to do or how you need to be for the next thing that's about to happen. Um, rather than carrying the emotion of whatever has just happened with you into the next thing and then carrying the accumulation of that with you to the next thing. So the power of the pause, giving yourself those 30 seconds to recalibrate, go again. Um, that would be, I think, my two top tips. Beautiful. And Peter's just said thank you for those tips because uh, that's certainly on his way. So I'm going to have to say thank you um, very, very much for joining us and sharing those thank tips you. today. Absolutely. Um, we have um, another exciting guest on next week, which will be a perfect flow on uh, from your, your topic today. Thank you, Lara. And that's Christine Weber talking on gratitude uh, nice. next week. It's Thanksgiving. Um, so mm -hmm. a very, very relevant topic for uh, next week's show on, on gratitude, Great. which um, in itself is another success uh, ritual to embody and uh, enable you Definitely. to move through life in a fluid manner. So thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Thank you so much for all of the great questions you've asked uh, and the fluidity that enabled Lara and I to chat because we could have continued for probably another uh, 50 minutes. We normally do. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and Peter just flicked up the name Adam Fraser. Was that who you were thinking of? Oh, yes, the third yeah. space. That's exactly right. Thank you yeah. for that. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. Thank you, everybody. We'll let you um, get on with the rest of your day and your evening. And I look forward to sharing more time with you on next week's show. Thank you. Very thank much. you, Sally. And thank you all. Lovely to be thank here. You. Bye. Bye. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining us. I trust you got some inspirational tips to move you forward. See you next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern for more Success Secrets Exposed. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. 
Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Penfed's got- 